We are going to get right into things today because we have a lot of information to cover, a lot of things that we're going to go through. So um, first off, if you're a note taker, I know it's a little dark in the room, but um, I would encourage you to take some notes because um, you're going to be throwing a lot of things at you. Um, but we are starting a brand new series today that I am absolutely over the moon about. Um, I could not be more excited. In fact, I was thinking about it. I think this is the most excited I've ever been um, entering into a, a series, mainly because of already how much of an impact this has had on my life and my perspective. And so um, with that being said, the title of our series is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. All right, the ruthless elimination of hurry. And as you can see on the graphic here, this is based on a book um, by a pastor named John Mark Comer. He is a pastor in Portland, Oregon. And uh, this is such an amazing book. These are all uh, biblical principles, but he does such a beautiful job of making it applicable and putting it within our context. And so I would encourage you, even urge you, if I could, to go out and purchase this book and, uh, and read it for yourself and just dig in and take notes and highlight things. I think that would be awesome. I'm gonna do my best over these next few weeks to cover this and try to make it applicable for you. Um, but I don't know, for me, there's nothing better than just digging in for myself and learning and figuring out how I can apply these things. So I would encourage you to do that. This is gonna take us through about the next four or five weeks, depending on how much we dig into each of these principles, okay? And so again, we've got a lot of information to cover, um, but I think it's gonna be awesome. And I will say this, if you are open-minded enough, if you open your heart enough, I truly believe that something in this series um, will allow you to change the way that you live your life. There's gonna be something in here. I don't know if it's big. I don't know if it's little. I don't know what it is, but if you are open-minded enough, I truly believe that it will change the way you live your life. And so I am so, so excited. Now, how did we get to this topic? How did we get to this series? Let me explain that very quickly for you. So at the beginning of every year, um, as the church leadership, we try to come together and kind of forge out some sort of pathway or vision that we want to head down for the coming year and beyond, right? We try to be very intentional about that. And so in years past, we have done um, a word of the year. So we had just kind of one concept that we wanted to give ourselves to and kind of step into over the next year. Prior to that, um, we would set these really specific goals that we wanted to come together and achieve and, and accomplish together. And so we've taken different approaches at different times. But as we were heading into this new year, I'll be honest, we were struggling a little bit um, to get the direction and clarity that, that we really wanted in terms of how to start the year. We know what we wanna give ourselves to this year, but how exactly can we start this? And we just weren't getting the clarity that we thought we would get until about a few weeks before the end of the year. All of a sudden, there was a, a certain topic that just started to kind of bombard me. And it was, and everything I was listening to, everything that I was reading, it just kept hitting me. And that topic was spiritual formations, all right? Spiritual formations. If you're not sure about what that means, let me explain it very quickly. These are the formations, or you might call them the disciplines that you have in your life that lead you down a path of Christ-likeness, okay? That's what spiritual formations are. So it's some sort of structure 
that you have in place that's gonna make you more and more like Christ or allow you to abide more and more in him. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Now, even that phrase, abide in me, which we talk about often around here, one of my favorite things that Jesus says, um, he says this in John chapter 15, and, and Jesus uses this within the, the context of a metaphor that he's trying to make, okay? He's trying to, to make an analogy and he's using vineyards to make this analogy. And so long story short, this is what he says. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. In other words, what he's saying is I am the foundation, I am the source. And so here's what you need to do, abide or, or make your dwelling place with me. That's what you need to do. But along with that vineyard metaphor comes a structure. Back in Jesus's day, this would include uh, some sort of hill. It would include posts. It would include very diligent pruning, which he speaks of. Today, we would simply call this a trellis, right? This is the structure within a vineyard that allows for growth and production. And we're actually gonna put a picture of this on the screen for you. But you'll see here, it keeps the, the branches off the ground. You'll see that's very clean kind of allows for some space for, for growth and, and expansion. Now, despite this picture, it's, it's not always done perfectly. It's not always really pretty and beautiful, but it always assists with growth and production. And so this is what represents our spiritual formations. It's the structure that allows us to connect with Christ and grow closer and closer to him. Another analogy that I thought of, because this is how my brain works, is in the sports world. Okay, we've all heard before growing up that practice makes perfect, right? That's something that is thrown around quite often. But what's interesting is in today's athletics, they're actually revolutionizing the way that they practice. And many of them call it game day training, meaning it's no longer so much about repetitions and mechanics, but now it's about simulating real game situations. That's how they practice now. So a few quick examples, Steph Curry, one of the best basketball players in the world, now many times in practice with his coaches and, and with his teammates, they're simulating real game situations. So the shot clock's going down, he's getting double teamed. What's he gonna do in that situation? Another good example is Russell Wilson, quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. Actually, this past year, um, he was injured for several weeks. So he wasn't even gonna be playing in the games and yet cameras caught him before the game by himself on the field, literally phys physically going through the motions of what he would do in the game. So he's in the huddle by himself. He's, he's taking the snap and he's handing it off and he's going through all the physical emotions of what he would do in a game. In psychological terms, they call this impulsive will versus reflective will. So let me explain that real quick. Your impulsive will, sometimes called your monkey brain, is the part of your will that is instinctive and reactive, right? Meaning when something happens to you in real time in your life, what is your impulse, okay? So you're driving down the highway and somebody suddenly cuts you off. What is your natural reaction in that moment? Maybe you tell your kid to do something and they immediately talk back to you. What is your instinct in that moment? That is your impulsive will. Now, your reflective will is much different. This is the part of your will that allows you to just kind of take a few steps back, kind of process the situation. What just happened? Um, why did this happen? What were maybe the intentions behind it? And then ultimately, how do I best respond? How, how do I best proceed in this situation? That is your reflective will. What's interesting is they actually say that if you exercise or practice your reflective will enough, it will eventually become your impulsive will. 
Meaning slowly over the course of time, your impulse will be much more measured, much more intentional, and much more wise. And this is exactly what they're trying to replicate in the sports world. So that the next time Steph Curry's in a late game situation and there's three seconds on the clock and he's getting double teamed without thinking twice, he knows what to do. Same thing with Russell Wilson. They know what to do. It is their instinct. And this, in many ways, is what spiritual formations are about, to give us a structure that slowly but surely turns our reflective will into our impulsive will. This is how the philosopher Dallas Willard put it. Spiritual formation in Christ would then ideally result in a person whose reflective will for good has settled into their body in its social context to such an extent that their natural responses were always to think, feel, and do as Christ himself would. This is what spiritual formations are there to do. Now, this is not a new concept by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, you can go all the way back to the beginning of Scripture, and you can see these things in play. But of course, we see this exemplified best um, through the life and the work of Christ. We see things like prayer. We see things like scripture reading. We see things like fasting. We see these things very clearly. And when you think about it, these very much do represent the idea of game time training. Meaning when when you pray, you're taking intentional time, right? You're gonna take intentional time out of the day. You're gonna spend that with God. So you're you're gonna connect with him. You're gonna talk with him. You're gonna try to carve out time and space to hear from him. You're gonna put your trust in him so that the next time something really bad happens to you, the next time you get some really bad news, guess what your impulse is? I'm gonna take it to God in prayer. See, this is why the apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. That should be our impulse. Now, fasting is probably the best example of this because when we're fasting, we're literally denying our natural desires, right? Like, I want that steak so bad right now, but I'm not gonna do it, right? I'm denying myself of that so that the next time I don't get something that I really want, I already know how to react to that situation, right? Or even the next time that I desperately want something, I can stop and go, do I really need this? Is this something that really is necessary in my life? And sometimes that's yes, sometimes that's no, but at least I'm intentional about it, right? I'm thinking through, I've practiced so I know how to execute. This is what spiritual formations are about. Now, a few things that we need to clarify before we begin to really lay out this foundation even further. And the first thing is this, and this is so extremely vital, and that is when we talk about spiritual formations, it must always be seen under the umbrella of relationship. Okay, in other words, we do this, we step into this because of our relationship with Christ. We wanna get to know him better. We wanna draw closer to him. We wanna be more and more like him, so we do these things. So, so we don't do them for show. We don't do them out of obligation. We don't do them because there's inherent power in the practices. We do it because we love Jesus and we wanna draw closer to him and be more and more like him. See, this is where the Pharisees got it wrong when we read throughout the gospels, right? Because the, everything became just the motion to them, right? It all became very legalistic. And, and so now it wasn't about relationship. It was just about the action of it. And it actually pushed them away from what God had for them. So first and foremost, this must be seen under the umbrella of relationship. Otherwise, we're gonna do these things for the wrong reason, okay? Here's the second thing. While some spiritual formations have been rightly studied and taught 
quite well throughout the history of the church. And I've mentioned some of these things, right? Prayer and scripture reading, fasting, communal worship. We've at least done a good job of being aware of these things. There are many that have not been rightly studied and taught. There are some that we read about but kind of quickly skim over. There are some that Jesus clearly teaches, but we've never really taken the time to consider them. And it's these formations that I'm most interested in talking about over these next few weeks. What are the spiritual disciplines in our life that we're missing out on for some reason? And how can we refocus and re-implement them to be the people of God that he's called us to be, especially in the day and age in which we live? And it's actually this that ultimately brought me to the topic of the ruthless elimination of hurry, because I think this principle is really at the core of the issues going on underneath the surface. I think this is the problem that's keeping us from these spiritual disciplines we very much need in our lives, okay? And so um, for the next about 15, 20 minutes, we're gonna try to lay out a foundation. This is gonna serve as the introduction to our series. And so with that in mind, I'd like to just spend a, a moment in prayer, just really opening up our hearts and minds to what God has for us. I'll tell you ahead of time, a lot of this stuff's not gonna be easy to hear. A lot of it we're gonna wanna push against, but I, I want to have an open heart and an open mind to truly see what he has for us. And so if you could just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Heavenly Father, we are, again, just so grateful for who you are and for what you've done. You are so good to us, and um, I pray that over the course of this series that you would work and that you would speak in the exact way that you desire in each one of our hearts and minds. I know that um, we're each in different situations and each uh, in different places in our lives. And so I just pray that you would meet each of us where we are, that you would speak wisdom and knowledge and understanding into us so that we can apply these things to our lives, draw closer and closer to you, and ultimately be more and more like you. I thank you ahead of time for what you're gonna accomplish and then through your people, give you all the glory, all the honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen, amen. So a few decades ago, there was a man by the name of John Ortberg who was having a lunch meeting with his mentor by the name of Dallas Willard, who I've already mentioned here today. And this was um, a meeting that these guys would have on a pretty regular basis. They would kind of bounce ideas off one another. They would kind of try to get wisdom from one another. And at this particular meeting, John um, wanted to kind of pour out his heart and really tell Dallas what he was going through in his life. And what he began to tell him is that from the outside looking in, everything seemed to be going quite well. Um, he was quite successful by really every uh, external measure as an author, as a speaker, as a spiritual leader. Things seemed to be going great. And yet internally, there was something that was missing. There was some sort of disconnect that he really just couldn't get his hands on. And so after explaining this, he finally stopped and he asked Dallas this question, what do I need to do to be the man that I want to be and that God ultimately desires for me to be? Just tell me what do I need to do? So Dallas kind of received this question. He sat back, took a deep breath, kind of paused for a while, and he said this, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, um, they had been meeting long enough to where John knew that these really wise quotes weren't quite a rarity for Dallas, and so he got out his notepad and he wrote this down and uh, after writing it down with a smile on his face, he looked back up and he said, okay, what else? After a much shorter pause this time, Dallas said, nothing else. 
Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, and so you must ruthlessly eliminate it from your life. Now, when I read this and I heard this story for the first time, there was like alarm bells going off in my heart and mind. There was something within me that was like, this is right. What he is saying is correct. And we need to discover something within it to make sense of it. Now, one of the reasons that I had that response is because recently I've been on this journey to see where church and culture have unnecessarily overlapped. Meaning, in what ways have we transformed the church because of culture rather than transforming culture as the church? In what ways is this actively happening? And the first and most daunting topic that I always seem to stumble my way toward here is the idea of time how we spend our time, how we look at time. What does time mean to each one of us? In fact, there was a pastor who was recently inspired to do things differently within his community. He was so excited about it. So when he was meeting with his psychologist, he, he couldn't help himself and he began to tell him, listen, we're, we're headed towards this model of discipleship where every single day we're gonna live as Christ would have us live. We're gonna build relationships. We're gonna tell people about Christ. We're gonna teach and, and we're gonna train and we're gonna equip them. He was so excited. And after pouring this out, uh, a few minutes later, the psychologist stopped him and he said this, I love all of that, but the number one problem you will face is time. People are simply too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich lives today. People are simply too busy. In fact, if you listen closely enough, this is the default response you'll get from just about everybody you talk to these days, right? How are things going? Things are going great, just busy. How, man, how, how are things going? Well, going through a bit of a rough season, just busy. Everybody is busy, and it doesn't even matter who you are. It could be young, could be old, male, female, blue collar, white collar. It doesn't matter. Everybody is busy. And while in today's climate, we wear those words like a badge of honor, I'm afraid I don't think we realize the undercurrent of the issues that it's causing within us, namely in our spiritual lives. I don't think we're really aware of what is going on. In fact, the Catholic writer Ronald Rollheiser put it this way, he said, today, a number of historical circumstances, which we're gonna talk about in a moment, are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these things. It is just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Amen. Now, there's one sentence that I wanna reiterate because I think this is an important one. He said, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. And I think that's such a poignant call out. In fact, I think most of the time that we say we're busy today, we should really put that word in quotes. Because listen, being busy should mean being productive. Meaning that word should mean like impact and purpose and mission and, and fulfillment. And the truth of the matter is most of the time, that's not what our busy really looks like. More often than not, we're not busy, we're, we're distracted. That's the truth of the matter. See, everybody today talks about how we've become so much more efficient in our society, but if we're simply able to do more and more worthless things with our time and attention, is that really efficient? Or, or is that actually inefficient? 
Like that's something we need to like consider and actually think about. In fact, I genuinely believe that the biggest problem facing this next generation is time occupation. In other words, how am I gonna choose to spend my time? In a world where busyness is championed and where multitasking is essential and where we have millions of options to capture our attention, how are we gonna choose to spend our time? In fact, if you take it back to the idea of spiritual formations, the sobering truth with this is that everything we do is technically a spiritual formation. In other words, you're always doing something that impacts your spiritual life. And in that way, it's a formation. It's pointing you somewhere. And so technically, Netflix is a spiritual formation. Video games are a spiritual formation. Social media is a spiritual formation. So the question begs, where are your spiritual formations pointing you? Where exactly are you aiming with these things? Here's maybe a better way of asking it. What are you becoming through your spiritual formations? Are you becoming more and more like Christ over the course of time or more and more like something else? And whether you realize it or not, and I don't think you do, hurry is a major player in this process. In fact, John Mark puts it this way in his book, hurry is simply incompatible with the way of Jesus. Hurry is simply incompatible with the lifestyle that Jesus calls for us. Now, how can he say that with such confidence? Let's consider this for a second and begin to talk through it. Starting with this, when Jesus is asked, what is the great commandment? What does he say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love, in many ways, is the great commandment. Well, let me ask you this, are hurry and love compatible ideas? Are those two things working well together? Is love a a quick, speedy process, or is it quite slow and and methodical and and time-consuming? In fact, just take inventory of the times that you are least loving, and I'll bet you most of those times it centers around hurry. You're, You're running late for something. You're trying to catch up. You're in the middle of completing a task. You're anxious about what lies ahead. And in these moments, we exude anger and tension and agitation, all of which are the antithesis of love. In fact, in the Apostle Paul's definition of love in his letter to the Corinthians, pay close attention to how he starts it because the very first thing he says is love is patient. Love is patient. It takes time. It takes thought. It takes intention. Like it takes some time. And by the way, the same could be said of all of the fruit of the Spirit. I would encourage you this week to go read Galatians 5.22 and tell me how you can do any of those things well in a big hurry. It just just doesn't work that way. In fact, the next time you're in a, a really big rush, I would just challenge you to just kind of take a moment and think about what you're producing and putting on display in that moment. Because I would venture to say it's never love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. It's not those things. That's not how this works. And so if something's so prevalent as hurry and and something that seems to be so necessary in our world today, if that's so incompatible with our spiritual health, how how did we get to this place? You ever wonder that sometimes when things aren't adding up, they're, they're not connecting? How did we get to this place? So I'm gonna do a bit of a history lesson just to show you some of the ways that we've gotten where we are today that I hope are interesting and enlightening to you because they certainly were for me. I always like understanding how we got where we were. Like it wasn't an accident. We got here for a reason. And so I wanna cover some of these things as quickly as I can with you. And so we're gonna start all the way back in the 14th century. 
Okay, so a couple hundred years ago, 14th century. We're gonna start here because this is when the invention of the clock came into play, okay? It's actually kind of interesting to think that prior to that, for most of human civilization, there wasn't a thing called a clock. It just wasn't a thing, right? They had other things, sundials and hourglasses, but nothing even close to a, a clock. And interestingly enough, um, the clock was invented in monasteries to help schedule out prayer time. It's kind of ironic as we look back to what it has become since then. But even with that being the original intent, um, it quickly gained popularity. Within 60 years of the invention, we see the first public clock being erected in the country of Germany. Within 100 years from that point, we see the first portable clocks being invented. So now you could have one in your pocket. You could have one on your wrist. And fast forward to today, I don't know if you ever realized it, but are you ever anywhere at any time where a clock or where time is not within your line of sight or the press of a button. It is always around you. It is the primary governing tool of our lives today. It's quite interesting to think about. Now, if we go back to the 19th century, we're gonna go to an interesting place within the era of time. And this was with a man named Thomas Edison and the invention of the light bulb. Now, how in the world is this relevant to this discussion? Well, listen to this. Before Edison and the light bulb, the average person slept 11 hours a night. The average person <laughs> slept 11 whole hours every single night. Now, I can't tell you the last single night that I slept 11 hours. And I have to think you can all relate to that. Today, the national average is seven hours, which sounds much more accurate. And God bless you if you got kids, you can slice some time <laughs> off of that, right? But this, this, is, this is interesting. In little over a century's time, we on average get more than four hours less of sleep every single night. Do you realize what a game changer that is for our emotional, spiritual, physical health? That's a game changer. Now let's keep moving forward. We fast forward about 40 years from this point. We're now into the beginning of the 20th century and in comes some inventions that are called labor-saving devices. Um, long story short, we're talking about things that are all around us that save us copious amounts of time, right? So we're talking about thermostats, motor vehicles, dishwashers, these things save us so much time, right? But what's really interesting about it is as these devices became more and more popular and more and more mainstream, what's interesting is we strangely felt like we had less time than ever as opposed to more time than ever. Now, how in the world could that be the case? How in the world does that even stand to reason that we feel like we have less time than ever? And so let's talk about that. I think you'll find this very interesting. Did you know that philosophers back in the 50s and 60s predicted that within decades, people would be spending far less time at work and far more leisure time than ever before in the history of the world. In fact, one famous subcommittee was told, listen to this, that by 1985, the average American would work only 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. This is where people thought we were headed. The average American, 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. Now, I don't have to tell you that did not come true, right? In, in fact, as opposed to working less, we work more. Um, since the time of that prediction, we now on average work four more weeks a year than they did. So we're talking about less sleep, more time available, much more work. And this is what ushered us right into the digital age, which is technically what we are still a part of today. But there was a monumental moment within the digital age in 2007 with the invention of the iPhone. 
Now, if you want to know the biggest enemies of our time and attention, we're getting there, okay? A recent study found that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone more than 2,600 times a day. 2,600 times a day. All in all, this takes the average time on iPhones to over two and a half hours per day. Even more scary, especially for our future generations, those numbers double in relation to people 35 years or younger. Listen, that means those of younger generations literally spend two full waking days on their phones every week. Now, let me just stop so that can sink in for a second. Maybe you didn't catch that. If you were to take the seven days of a week and you were to tally up the number of hours that you're awake, that means two of those seven waking days are spent on your phone. <laughs> Tristan Harris, a modern tech leader, recently explained it this way. This is a very interesting analogy. He said, slot machines make more money per year than the film industry and baseball combined by simply calling for one quarter at a time. It feels inconsequential in the moment, but quite literally steals your money. In the same way, your smartphone now captures more of your attention than just about anything else in your life, and yet it does it one text, one email, one Instagram like at a time. It feels inconsequential in the moment, but quite literally steals your time. Now, the first time I read that, I had shivers like go down my back because it's, it's so unbelievably true. And the more I started to think about it, I started to wonder like, what is this doing for us? Like what type of impact is this having on human beings? And honestly, the early signs are, are not very encouraging. Check this out. In the year 2000, not that long ago, a study was done that showed the average human attention span was 12 seconds. So in the year 2000, 12 seconds, which was astonishing low. I, I couldn't even believe that. It made me wonder like in centuries past what that number would be. It'd probably be um, quite amazing. Since the year 2000, so a little over 20 years, our attention spans have gone from 12 seconds down to eight seconds. So the average attention span from a human being today is eight seconds long. It doesn't bode well for me up here speaking. <laughs> you ever heard of the phrase, you have the attention span of a goldfish? No longer true. We now have a lower attention span than a goldfish. <laughs> Is anybody seeing like there's a problem here? <laughs> Is anybody seeing there's, there's some sort of issue that we need to be aware of? By the way, it's no wonder that psychologists can now literally diagnose you with hurry sickness. It's a literally thing. You can go look it up. They can diagnose you with hurry sickness. This is how they describe it. A behavior pattern characterized by chronic rushing and anxiousness and an overwhelming persistent sense of urgency. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm being honest about it, I read that and, and that's a bit harsh because that describes me far too well, right? When, when I'm really feeling, what I'm really thinking on a regular basis, that is far too accurate. And if you're wondering if that might be the case for you, let's have a little bit of fun here. Let's do some self-reflection. I'm going to give you some of the main symptoms or signs of hurry sickness. And I want you to really think, does this apply to me? I want you to really be a, a little bit difficult on yourself for a few minutes here. Here's the first sign or symptom of hurry sickness, general irritability, getting mad, frustrated, or simply annoyed at little normal things. Do just the normal things in life now like get on your nerves somehow? By the way, they say that you should judge this. This is kind of sad. You should judge this with the people you spend most of your time with. Meaning don't judge this with like acquaintances or, or friends that you go out with, but, but really your family, the people you spend most of your time with. Are you just generally irritable around these people? Here's another one. Hypersensitivity. 
All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email to set you off, or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk for the day. Hypersensitivity. Here's another one. Restlessness. You try to slow down, but you can't. Try to pray, get distracted. Try to sleep, can't stop thinking. Try to watch TV, but can't even do that without checking the phone or doing a chore simultaneously. Restlessness. Here's another one. This is, a, this is a big one. Emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel another's pain. Empathy sounds nice. You just don't have time for it. Woo. This is a big one that we need to talk about. Empathy, we, we talk about how important that is, right? And, and this is one of the primary problems with empathy today. We literally don't have time to, to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes to just be thoughtful enough to think about what somebody else might be going through or, or might have gone through in the past. We just don't have time for it. We're emotionally numb to the people around us. It's sad. Here's another one. Out of order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity and calling. You are busier than ever, yet still don't feel like you have time for the truly important things. Out of order priorities. Here's another one. Escapist behaviors. Man, this is, this is interesting. We're too tired to do what's actually life-giving, so we result to our distraction of choice, overeating, over-drinking, binging Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, or whatever your preferred cultural narcotic of the day might be. <laughs> Escapist behaviors. Here's one final one, especially important within the context of our series. Slippage of spiritual disciplines or formations. You're so over-busy and over-tired that the things that truly enlighten your soul are the first to go rather than the first go-to. The things that, that give you life, things that build you up, things that draw you closer to God are the first things we take off of the priority list rather than putting them at the top. Now, I have to think that if you were an honest judge, um, you would fall into most, if not all, of these categories. I certainly do. It's just a little bit eye-opening to begin to see how much of a problem this is in our lives. These things are not normal. These things should not be happening for every single one of us. And so all of this culminates in, into one question for me, and that is, what would it look like to just recognize that this is one of the biggest problems we face as followers of Christ? Just what would it look like to, to really recognize that this is a big issue? What if you actually said, you know what? I don't care what culture says. I don't care the system that we live in. This is a problem for me. Like this, this is an issue in my life. My priorities are out of whack. My spiritual life always takes a back seat. I'm impatient. I'm anxious. I'm irritable. I'm inattentive, especially to the things that matter most, like God and his people. What if we just admitted that this was a problem in our lives, what would that look like? And we're gonna talk a lot about that throughout this series, but there's one clear answer, and that is Jesus. That, that's, that's what it would look like. As we read through the gospels, it would look a lot like the way that he lived his life. And what's very interesting about it as we read through is Jesus was very busy. I, I mean, if you read through the gospels and you see the things that he did and, and his way of life, you would say he's, he's quite busy but in the truest sense of the word, right? He was always making an impact. He was always driving positive change. He was always investing in people and teaching and training. He was always on mission. But listen, while he was busy, he was rarely, if ever, in a hurry. 
He was always mindful. He was always intentional. He was always present in the moment. This is the way that he lived his life. And what's amazing about it is this isn't just for us to look at and say, wow, that's amazing that he did that. He invites us into that. See, when he goes up to his disciples and he says, follow me, that's what he's saying. He's saying, watch the way that I live my life. Watch the things that I prioritize. Look at my perspective and I want you to replicate that in your life. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. This is his way of life. In fact, he goes on to say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, many times we look at that literally as in a, a, a yoke that helps kind of guide the oxen, right? And, and so we think that that means that Jesus is gonna lead and guide us as we submit to him and there's truth in that. But there's actually something much deeper going on there because back in Jesus's day, he was considered a rabbi, meaning a, a Jewish teacher. And back at his time, oftentimes rabbis would have a way of life or a lifestyle that they would prescribe to their disciples. And many times that was called their yoke. So what Jesus is saying is, I want you to take my lifestyle and I want you to apply it to your life. I want you to live the way that I lived. And guess what? It's easy. It's light. It's not full of stress and full of hurry and full of anxiety. It's not heavy. It's easy. It's, it's light. This is what he invites us into. And this is what I want to continue to dig into and discover through the course of this series. How can we give ourselves to these things? In fact, how can we get others to join us in this endeavor to truly live the way that Jesus lived in our culture, in our day? It's possible. He invites us into it. How can we accomplish this? How can we encourage one another in that endeavor? This is what I want to dig into. Please stand with me. Now, here's the truth of the matter when it comes to the things that we're going to start digging into next Sunday. If it's not already obvious through some of the information that I've given you, in order to step into these things, it's, it's going to be difficult. <laughs> it's going to be really difficult to go against the stream of culture. It's going to be really difficult to truly understand what our priorities are. It's going to be difficult. But if we wanna truly be like Christ, this is something we need to be serious about. This is not just another cool principle to think about. We need to be serious about this. We need to give ourselves to this. And I'm excited to do that. So before we begin digging into these principles and start talking about how we can apply this, I would just like for us to close our eyes. And I would just like to pray over you before we leave today that God would, he would prepare you, that he would soften your heart, open your mind as we begin to unpack these things. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for what you've done. Thank you for sending your son that we can look at him and, and understand what it really means to live life the way that you've designed, what it really means 
to be image bearers. And I pray right now that that you would prepare each and every heart, each and every mind as we move into these things that you have for us. I pray that, that as we dig into them, that you would prepare us in such a way to, to where our instinct isn't to push back, our instinct isn't to argue, but just to, to take time to consider, to take time to think about it, to not initially think, well, that's impossible, that can't happen today but to really try to dig into what it would look like to be like you in our world today. What that might mean for our kids, what that might mean for our family, what that might mean for our community, what that might mean for anywhere else that you send us to truly be like you. This is our desire. Like my heart is crying out, I just wanna be like you. So Holy Spirit, please prepare us, equip us for this journey. Strengthen us, encourage us through it and help us to do the same for one another. I'm excited to see what you're gonna do. I'm excited to see the change in perspective and mindset. I'm excited to see people understand what it means to be true followers of Christ every moment of every day. Thank you ahead of time for what it's gonna produce, individually, collectively. Thank you ahead of time for the work that's gonna be completed in and through it. Pray all of these things in Jesus' name.